Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Slash Film Daily, the daily podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Peter Shreda, and on today's episode for July 18th, 2017, we'll be discussing a bunch of movie news, including Neil Blomkamp and Elysium 2, Kermit the Frog, Ryan Johnson debunking a Star Wars fan theory, a Robotech movie coming, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, joining us today is Bradford Omen. Who you know as Ethan Anderton on SlashFilm.com. Brad, how's it going? It's great because I'm actually here in SlashFilm headquarters as opposed to across the country in my home. Yes, because once a year we all gather to go to San Diego for Comic-Con. And you have come out the night before and we're going to drive down tomorrow. Yeah. So we're recording this actually the day before you're hearing this. Um, Before we get into the news, Brad... Have you been doing anything interesting lately? Have you seen anything interesting? I did. I saw a couple of interesting things, if you will. I mean, technically, it's one interesting thing, but it's still very cool because it was two different shows. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 has been doing their first live show. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm sure Mystery Science Theater has toured before. They haven't. Rift Tracks has d- done tours before, and some of Mystery Science Theater has done it. But this is the first time there's been like an officially sanctioned Mystery Science Theater 3000 tour. And they have uh, Jonah Ray out there 
with the show. They have Tom Servo and Crow T Robot. Uh, Joel Hodgson introduces the show, and thankfully, since I live in the Chicago area, I was able to catch both of the shows that they're touring with. One of them is the, a screening of Ega, which is one of the fan favorite episodes of MST3K, and they added a bunch of new jokes, and it was absolutely hilarious. And it's even funnier to see them do it live too, because they riff every now and then, and just the interaction between Jonah and the puppets is is hilarious. And then they had the secret surprise film which was the second show that followed. And I won't tell you what it is because everybody has done a really good job of keeping the secret as to what it is. So fans are surprised when they see it. But suffice it to say... It oh, so is, it's the same one at every show? Yeah, it's the same movie. Because otherwise they would have to write so many shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is a hilariously awful movie, as you would expect. It's I will, I'll say... I'll describe it as being in the same vein as like a 1966 Batman movie but made in Italy and much more perverse and weird. Hmm. Well, speaking of Batman, Brad, I just got back from seeing Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. With Batman? Well, no, he directed the Batman, the last Batman trilogy. Oh, I was hoping Batman was going to be in it. I mean, sitting there in the movie theater, I was hoping Batman was going to show up. Whoa, that sounds mean. You know what? The movie is, is good. It's not great. I did not love it. Uh, there's so much I admire about it. The cinematography is beautiful. It's stunning. The sound design is incredible. There's you know sequences in this that are really on the edge of your seat. All that said, oh, and the acting's good. Tom Hardy does stuff with his eyes. <laughs> you just see the eyes, and as is as a fighter pilot. Um, that uh, you know, most actors couldn't relay that kind of emotion and that kind of acting just through the eyes. Um, but big butt, I really didn't love it. I, uh, you know, the the movie, like most Christopher Nolan movies, plays with time. It uh, is told with three different stories uh, that are taking place in different kind of times that intersect. And this is something that is set up very early in the film, like within the first minutes. So this isn't a spoiler, but it comes off as very confusing in the film. And to me, it took me out of it. Any time that I was really getting into it, I I got jolted back out because I was just, um, just not enjoying it as much as I should have been. And the Hans Zimmer score, which I loved in the IMAX preview. Did you see the five minute IMAX preview? Yeah. I loved it there in the whole movie. It's like that. <laughs> and it gets kind of repetitive and, uh, grueling. Anyways, that's my quick review of Dunkirk. Um, let's move on to the news though. So first up in the news, Brad, Neil Blomkamp is doing interviews because he's promoting his, short film initiative with his um, uh, new studio. And he was asked about Elysium, his uh, second feature film, right? Yeah. After uh, He was coming off District 9, which is so strong. And he did Elysium, and critics hated it. Audiences didn't like it. Uh, Neil Blomkamp says, Elysium is something, it's, quote, something... I feel like I could have done better. I think that if you were to take something like Elysium and play it inside the setting of this, 
talking about his Oats Studio for short films, you probably would be able to hone it better. And later he says, I just think I can do a better job in setting up what the themes are more clearly and what the characters' motivations are. I think I can do better, I think. Uh, He says he would love... Wait, where is it? The idea of separation of class warfare presented in the space ring is incredibly appealing to me, and I would love to go back and make another movie in the world of Elysium because it's compelling. What do you think about that? Do you want to see Elysium too? Does anybody want to see it? Um, I don't necessarily want to see uh, Elysium too, but I think that the idea of setting a movie in the same universe that that movie takes place in could be interesting as long as it's not an overt connection that tries to continue the story or uh, has something necessarily that's like tangential and connects to what we saw in the first movie. But I think that the world that he, Blomkamp sets up in there is one that's maybe fascinating enough to, to plan. As far as like his discussion about his approach to the themes of the movie and like class warfare and that kind of thing, he I think the biggest problem with Elysium and even Chappie is that he, unlike District 9, he wasn't exactly very subtle about the themes in the movie as far as social commentary and that kind of thing. Like, District 9 isn't, you know, the, the most, um, you know, nuanced presentation of, of the themes in, in that movie as far as immigration and racism and that kind of thing. But it definitely works a lot better than the what he tried to present as commentary in his following two movies. So... I'm not sure. I mean, part of me hope, wonders if Neil Blomkamp is kind of like a one-hit wonder kind of filmmaker. I hope he's not, but... Hmm. I, I kind of agree. I, I, I love the setup of that world. The setup of that world is great, but by the end of the movie, it felt like a video game. Like, it, it felt like um, in the themes... Um, I think Neil Blomkamp is admitting that he did not succeed at what he wanted to do. But I, I think there were some themes there that could have been cool, but they weren't executed quite uh, well enough. Uh, also in the news, uh, we told you last week that the actor who has played Kermit the Frog for the last nearly 30 years, uh, 27 years, Steve Whitmire, uh, he's played Kermit the Frog since Jim Henson died. He was fired by Disney. And, uh, or at least at first we heard he, was le- uh, he had left. And he was being replaced. Then we heard he was fired. Um, and Steve Whitmire wrote a blog post saying he hopes he could one day come back to the role. And now we're hearing more about this. He did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, and um, we wrote it up on SlashFilm.com. And basically, Whitmire says that there was two issues that they clashed over. One of them was that he that they felt he had been disrespectful in an outspoken and outspoken on character issues. And uh, this especially came into play with the, the Muppets TV show that they just had on ABC. Um, apparently he, they had like the scene where Kermit was going to lie and he was vehemently like, was like, you know, I am the custodian of Kermit and Kermit would not lie in this situation. Um, and kind of like fought against the studio. And I guess that was one of the reasons he says. Uh, the other was this uh, this union thing that doesn't seem as interesting to talk about. A spokesperson for the Muppet Studio fired back saying, quote, the role of Kermit the Frog is an iconic one that is beloved by fans, and we take our responsibility to protect the integrity of the character very seriously. 
we raised concerns about Steve's repeated unacceptable business conduct over a period of many years, and he consistently failed to address the feedback. The decision to part ways was a difficult one, which was made in consultation with the Henson family and their and has their full support, period. So... A lot of Muppet fans are kind of pissed that, you know, he left, but there's two conflict there's two sides to every story, Brad. Which what side do we believe here? I mean, it sounds like more and more that maybe Disney was in the right here. It maybe that Steve wasn't the easiest guy to work with, but then again, I mean, what's the straw that broke the camel's back that after 27 years Disney just like had enough? Like is was it was really the Muppets TV show where like you know that that all of a sudden like okay we can't work with anymore after all those years I don't know maybe there's more to the story than even they're letting on but I, it's definitely a bummer still I, I definitely feel like there's more to the story it's a bummer that you know this guy that has kind of been the custodian of this character for for almost my entire life <laughs> um, since Jim Henson died is now you know that that either he has been wronged. Or that he is a shitty guy. Um, either way. And next up in the news is Ryan Johnson shooting down a popular Star Wars fan theory. Uh, a lot of fans have been speculating that Benicio Del Toro's mysterious character in Star Wars The Last Jedi might actually be Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels. Which is an interesting idea. I mean, why not bring some of the Star Wars Rebels characters into the live-action world? I know they tried to do that with Rogue One to some limited failure. But, uh, you know, it'd be cool to see them actually in the saga films. But Ryan Johnson was asked this by Good Morning America, and he kind of shot down the, the theory saying that he is his own person. So, uh, who do you think DJ—they keep on calling him DJ— yeah, but they've said that that's what they call him, like on set. Like it's not his real name, um, and they say he. Ryan Johnson says it does stand for something, but he won't say what. Though he does say it doesn't stand for disc jockey. So I'm I'm not really sure. I think he's one of the like most mysterious characters uh, in that's going to be in the last shot because we don't know anything about him. Like we don't even know his name. We know what he looks like. Yeah. And we know that he's on a spaceship at some point, but otherwise, like, there, I really have no idea what kind of character. Yeah, and we, we saw a little bit of him at, on the Star Wars Last Jedi sizzle reel that was released at D23. You oh, wrote an article on oh, Slashfilm.com, which analyzed the whole sizzle reel frame by frame. And you uh, picked out, you know, some of the stuff that people might have missed. So, yeah. Why don't you tell me what what might I have missed in that sizzle reel? So one thing you might have missed is a character that we've heard about, but we haven't didn't actually see until the sizzle reel. Uh, there's one shot of a resistance gunner who is in like a, like a little gunner pod um, that has you know the the barrels of the gun sticking out of it, and it looks like it's in one of those ships that we see in the teaser trailer in uh, one of the big space battles that will happen in the movie. And that character is actually Paige Tico, who is Rose Tico's sister. And Rose Tico is the new character that's being played by Kelly Marie Tran in The Last Jedi. And she is a resistance gunner. And she apparently at one point in the movie gets 
uh, coached by Poe Dameron as far as like, you know, what she needs to be doing as a gunner. And the reason that we know that that's her is because if you look at the helmet that she's wearing in the shot, the design on it matches a Lego minifigure of that character that comes with the, that ship that she is the gunner for. And uh, almost everything, all the rumors and leaks to come out of the Star Wars saga movies always originate in toy form, for in sure. one way or another. Um, now, one thing and, that and, I, and that actress is Veronica Nago, right? Nago? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, one thing that I speculated on, I don't know if it's tr- if it's true or not. You can see in the article is there's another shot in the trailer that doesn't happen sequentially within the the edit of the sizzle reel, where there's a character falling down. A, a strange trench of sorts where there's a bun- it's where they're surrounded by these strange orbs and I don't know what this area is or anything like that but the character is wearing a pilot jumpsuit that is just like the one that Paige is wearing so part of me wonders if maybe this is a scene where Paige dies and that's kind of what give gives Rose the fire to continue fighting with the resistance because rose is just a maintenance worker Hmm. but she ends up going on a mission with finn in the last jedi so i wonder if she's kind of out for you know not not necessarily vengeance but maybe just to you know dish out back some you know justice to the first order for killing her sister that i don't know if if she even dies but that's just speculation on my part and and that's such a visually interesting shot when i saw it first on the big screen i thought it was a bunch of interior uh, uh, imperial like probe droid like things but now that you see the the shot of it, it looks like they're I don't know what they are. Yeah, I really don't know. But it, it's it's visually striking, and it almost looks like something out of the Matrix. Um, so what else did we might may we eh, what else might we have mixed missed in this uh, sizzle reel? Um, one of the things that I think is particularly cool in this sizzle reel is the stuff that we see um, with Luke and Ray. And if you um, look at some of the scenes that don't look like they're in the movie because they are training scenes, I think that we get an indication of who and who they'll be fighting, or at least how many people they'll be fighting at certain points. There's one particular shot of Rey where she's holding her prop lightsaber and she's fighting against three different stuntmen. Now, the stuntmen aren't holding uh, any specific weapons. They're just fighting her with staffs, but... All three of them come at her at the same time. Um, I wonder if maybe there's a sequence where Ray fights the Knights of Ren, or if maybe she's just fending off uh, the stormtroopers who have those new claw weapons that might be able to also fight lightsabers the same way that that electrified baton did from The Force Awakens. And one other thing in here that I wanted to ask you about is these new little creatures they're they're cute uh what what are they apparently they're called porgs all right it could be porges but i think it's porgs and they're these little like puffy birds that reside on octu which is the planet that ray finds luke on at the end of the force awakens and apparently they considered themselves like protectors of the island and i guess they have a, a bond with luke because he's been there for so long but they're not too keen on Ray yet. Like, I guess she has to prove herself or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of unclear as to, like, how significant they are and if, if maybe they're Force-sensitive or, or anything like that. But apparently they're, they look cute on the outside, but I guess they have these, like, sharp little teeth. Yeah. Like, like, like gremlins. 
like gremlins. <laughs> um, well, they they certainly look interesting. They look like the kind of characters that could be divisive, as divisive as the Ewoks were in Return of the Jedi. Oh, and real to go, to go back to the the training fight shot scene. There's, yeah. there's another shot uh, of training choreography happening with Adam Driver, where he is fighting two stuntmen attacking him with staffs, which could indicate that both Luke and Ray will fight Kylo at the same time. Hmm. Well, anyways, go, head to SlashFilm.com to check out this whole article with all the images, all the speculation, all the breakdown. Uh, let's move on in movie news. Uh, Anth- Andy Muschietti, I think? Muschietti? Sounds right. Yeah? Uh, he is directing the new It, uh, the, the adaptation of Stephen King's It. He has signed on... Uh, and he's also the guy that uh, directed Mama. Uh, he was once going to direct The Mummy, but yes, that didn't happen. that didn't happen. And that, that's, he's better for it. Um, he's now signed on to direct a live-action adaptation of the 1980s anime series Robotech for Sony. This is a... Pro- Robotech has been in the works for so long. I remember Leonardo DiCaprio, like, probably 10 years ago, when I first started his last film was trying to get this off the ground and couldn't. Um, so it, now it is with uh, the guy that did Mama and the upcoming It. Um, I don't have any really ties to Robotech. I know you don't either, but it, it's one of those um, one of those shows with giant robots and it was you know taken from a, from what I've heard a better show that was broadcast in, in Japan and repurposed kind of like Voltron or Power Rangers or any the stuff that we steal and then make our own. Um, do you think that this is that he could be the right person for this movie? I don't know. It's tough to say. We haven't really seen him do anything like this. Um, it, so I guess it would depend on the approach. Maybe it's, it's, seems to be something that he's passionate about if he's interested in taking on the project so maybe he has an angle that would finally make it work on the big screen and actually make it happen um he's a very visual director i loved his short for mama even more than mama itself and mama was produced by guillermo del toro uh he's a mentor of him and it's interesting that he's kind of taken the same path that del toro did where del toro was doing these like kind of horror movies and then jumped into pacific rim and this is essentially going to be Andy's Pacific Rim, I think. Anyways, uh, we'll have to see if this actually gets made. I, there's been a billion people that have been attached to this over the years, so I, I kind of am skeptical uh, of, of it actually happening. And lastly, in our spoiler room segment, um, this isn't really a spoiler, but it's discussion for War for the Planet of the Apes, which you have seen, right? Yep. Um, and this is something that got cut from the movie so you can feel free to tune out now if you don't want to hear it but it's not something that's actually in the movie and it's not something that affects things but it's basically a reference to the previous films that was cut and now we're going to talk about it uh what it was is originally jason clark's character malcolm from dawn of the planet of the uh, dawn of the planet of the apes mm-hmm. yes um was originally mentioned in the movie there was a scene between caesar and the colonel played by woody harrelson who uh, it was? Um, I think it was revealed that he re- he he had come across a man that had told him about this ape who is not just an ape but a great leader 
and he tells the story the colonel's telling the story that he thought this guy was crazy and um basically uh caesar asked him what happened to that man and the colonel says i killed him and caesar is perplexed and asks why and the colonel says his ideas were very dangerous because the ideas were like a virus and they could spread to others and right now this is a fight for humanity so that's how it was cut from or th- that was the scene that was in the films and that and that was matt reeves told that to the happy sad confused podcast i don't think it was ever actually in the film i think it was he said it was in an earlier yeah early of cut script. of the script sorry yeah. I, I am mistaken uh so i'm actually kind of glad that this wasn't in there because i feel like um as much as I would have liked some reference to what happened to the characters we, we left, this feels like it would, would have felt forced. What do you think? Yeah, no, it definitely feels contrived, at least in the way that it's explained. I, I imagine that like the exchange between Caesar and the colonel wasn't quite so stilted or awkward as it's explained here. I think that he's just paraphrasing what the scene generally would have been yeah, yeah. about. But yeah, it, it feels like you know, an unnecessarily an unnecessary reference and connection to make when you don't really need to know what happened to Jason Clark's character because he was already, you know, walking away from the fight because there was you know a big battle coming and Caesar didn't want you know them to have to be a part of it. So I think it's it's much better that we don't know what happened to them. Um, I agree, and uh, you know, I I do like. Uh, the callback with James Franco's character in Dawn for the Planet of the Apes. But that felt more organic with Caesar returning to the his former home, which is that house. And I feel like, that, yeah, this definitely, at least on surface level, feels kind of crammed in there. Um, and um, unlike, you know, Rise of the Planet of the Apes had some kind of uh, references, some of, of very obvious references, like... I, I, was, didn't Draco like say you damn dirty apes or whatever? Who? Draco Malfoy oh, or whatever Tom his name? Felton? Yeah, Tom yeah, Felton. Yeah. Sorry, I, I just call him Draco. He did, uh, yeah, he did say get your hand off me, you damn dirty. Yeah, apes. yeah. Um, and then there was Caesar who was building a 3D puzzle of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So, they, so they were more obvious with the references in the first film. From what I've heard, Tom Rothman, who was the studio head at the time, wanted those references in there. And but uh, his the, ideas are usually so good. Well, he did go over to Sony in the first movie he greenlit was Passengers, so that happened. Yeah, his ideas are so good. <laughs> um, anyways, okay, so that does it for the news. Uh, Brad, we're heading to Comic-Con. Yeah, we are. Um, we're heading there right now as you're listening to this, and it's going to start Wednesday night, and we're going to have coverage on the site Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What are you most excited about? Oh, man, that's a big question. Uh I'm always excited for the Marvel panel, obviously, because they put on an insane show, and I'm interested to see what they're going to show, because we already know that they showed some stuff at D23. They showed a little bit of Infinity War. Yeah, and- my, my prediction of what Marvel was going to do is what happened at D23. I, I thought they were going to bring out you know, almost the entire cast of Infinity War on stage for a photo op and then show a clip, and that's what they did at D23, so I don't know what they're going to do at Comic-Con. I think they'll still do that at Comic-Con, but they'll have more. We already know that there's a Thor Ragnarok trailer coming. I don't think they'll do another Black Panther trailer because it's a bit too early since the last one came out. But they might show 
more from Infinity War so that it's not just a repeat of what happened at yeah. D23. Though I still hope they show what happened at D23 since I didn't get to see it. <laughs> um, but besides that, um, I think on the TV side of things, I'm really pumped to see what happens with Westworld and Stranger Things. Yeah, those are my two favorite on the TV side of things. Um, and Warner Brothers will definitely have Justice League, which will be interesting because... Is Joss Whedon going to show up? Is Zack Snyder going to be there? <laughs> you know, it's uh, also, actually, I, you're probably going to mention this in Superhero Bets tomorrow, but Josh Whedon changed his Twitter profile and removed the Justice League photo that was on the background of his Twitter fo- profile, which to me seems very telling. Joss Whedon uh, said that or a while back that he was not coming to Comic-Con this year. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah. So. so unless he's lying, which... It's possible. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Anyways, keep it tuned. Uh, where can we find more of your work online, Brad? I'm writing at Slash Film all the live long day. Uh, you can find articles all the time there written by me. You can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And if, you... if we wanted to listen to you, where would we hear you? Oh, well, I have good news because there's a podcast that I do with my friend Ben, and it's called Go Flix Yourself. F-L-I-X, and it's available on iTunes and various other podcast platforms. Thank you for listening to Slash Film Daily. Um, Again, we'll be having some coverage from Comic-Con, live from Comic-Con, and this is the first time I'm doing it, so I apologize in advance for the quality. Uh, Please send your complaints and praise to peter at slashfilm.com. If you like this podcast, please go review and rate it over at iTunes. That really helps us a lot and uh tell your friends because we can always use some more listeners uh thanks for listening and we will see you tomorrow